Why don't you take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, first book of the New Testament. Now, we started last Wednesday night about hearing the voice of God, and I talked to you about the friend of God. Well, we, I hope I heard right, we're going to transition that to Sunday morning. So I did the same thing this past Sunday morning, we'll take that up on Sundays. I want to talk to you about something different tonight. <clears throat> I want to talk to you about church tonight. We want to talk about why church. Why church? My mama made me go to church some when I was a boy. To this day, I don't know why. <laughs> didn't do me no good, and it sure didn't do the preacher no good. Nor the poor lady that had to take care of me in the junior boys class. Didn't do her no good at all. Uh, some of you know, I'm sure you know, I'm fixing to transition out of here. You got a new preacher on the way. Hopefully I had lunch today with my buddy Bob Disher across the highway. He's leaving. And I told him, I said, I'm going to stay close to you. Find out, I'm going to find out who y'all got coming. We're going to get to him first. And we'll just get yours, bring him over here, and we'll be good to go. Then you go find you another. That's what we'll do. But uh, I'm fixing to transition into my next deal, and I've been praying over something that Jesus has been talking to me about church. I got one run left in me probably at this ripe old age, and I want to get it right next time. I want to I get it better next time than I've done before. So I'm talking about church today from Scripture and why church. I want to talk to you about church through the eyes of Jesus. And... Uh, church per Jesus. If you're, if you're well educated, this is a theology of church from the Bible. But if you're like me, it's just, what does Jesus got to say? What does Jesus have to say about it? And uh, I want you to look with me in scripture. I'm, I'm beginning to get deeply convicted that we need to change the way we do church across the landscape. And uh, we need to, I think we need to go back to the Bible and we need to get back to the heart of God in church for people saying, it's not because he's mad because we do something wrong. It is because of the needs of people. It's all about the needs of people and the hearts of people. And I want you to look with me in Scripture, Matthew 21. I'll give you two passages about church per Jesus and what he has to say about church. This is that humorous incident in the life of Jesus. And uh, we've turned Jesus into Mr. Rogers in America. He is not. He's a cross between Mr. Rogers and Rambo, depending on what day you catch him on. And on this day, he was Rambo. And in Matthew 21, I, I'm so old. Y'all know who Rambo is? I don't know these new ones. They're too weird for me. All right, Matthew 21. The Bible says this in Matthew 21, verse 12. Then Jesus went into the church, the temple of God. I put a question mark over of God. Don't look to me like it was of God. And drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold up. So Jesus goes into church, just tears the place apart. He just walks in uninvited. He wasn't the guest speaker that day. He goes in, just rips the place. He's kicking tables over. He's throwing preachers out the door. Money's rolling down the steps. Doves are flying through the windows. He just wrecked their church. There's your sweet gentle shepherd right here. He goes in there and tears the place all to pieces. And then he says to them, he said to them, it is written. What does that mean? Anytime you read in the Bible, it is written. What does that mean? The Bible says. He's pointing them back to the Bible. Now, at that time, they didn't have the New Testament. They had the Old Testament they lived out of. And he said, the Bible says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And he points them back to Scripture. And if you want to look it up, it's in the Old Testament, Isaiah, where he said, my house shall be called... And this is what the Bible says about a church, a house of prayer for all people. So my house is supposed to be. He said, this was supposed to be a place for people where they could come and what? You rip them off and take their money and put them through your programs? No, where they could be prayed for. 
This is supposed to be a place where people who have needs could come and get prayed for. And this, do you sense that he's a little angry? I'm putting it mildly. What's he mad about? You're not doing church like I want to. The people are not being helped. You've turned it into a religious sideshow. I wanted this to be a place where, what, what does the word all mean? Drunks? Rejects? Outcasts? I want the off-scouring society to come to this place. And rather than criticize them, I want you to pray for them. This is supposed to be a house of prayer for all kinds of people. That's what I want my church to be. And uh, then he said to them, but you've turned it into a hangout for thieves. Who's the thief in the Bible? The thief is the one who steals, kills them. And he said, my church has actually become a place where Satan is hanging around and hurting people. You've turned this thing into a hangout for thieves. And... Uh, and then, of course, he made this transition. He made the church like he wanted it. Verse 14 says this. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Now you can say physical blindness and literal lameness crippled means literally your legs don't work. But you know in the Bible, it's always a picture of people that are broken and crippled, wounded people. And once Jesus got to church like he wanted it, can you see that crippled people came there and they became a what? Instead of a house of religion, it became a house of healing. I'm convinced Jesus wants his house to be a house of healing for wounded people and messed up people. I think that's exactly what he wants the church to be. I think he set it up to be that way. And somehow, I'm not going to blame anybody, criticize anybody. We have drifted to this American model of who's got the best music, who's got the most entertaining preacher that can hold us for an hour and who's got games for our kids. And it was never supposed to be like this. It has been a house of healing for screwed up people. Yeah. And, and uh, you say, well, does he, does he care? Looks to me like he cares. Yep. Looks to me like he's ill about it. And he said, I want to change things. And when he changed it, it was a house. I'm convinced the church should be a house of healing. Amen. A place where people come that are wounded and broken. And if, they, if it's physical, so be it. All right. Now, Jesus really bores down on this. Why don't you turn a bit to Luke chapter 10. This is not a, I didn't just find one passage. I think this is the whole crux of scripture. In Luke chapter 10, I want you to look at where a preacher tried to weasel out of what Jesus said church should be. How many of you know Jesus should set the priorities? Guess why Jesus should get have just why Jesus should have his way? Because his name is on the deed. He the man. And he should get to say, I've heard people say, we well, you know this is the Baptist way, this is the Methodist way, this is the whatever way. Jesus owns the joint. He should get to decide how it's going to be. And this is one of those great passages in Luke chapter 10. I, I start to say I love it, but I just love it all. And behold, verse 25, Luke 10, 25, you'll be familiar with this. A certain lawyer, now that doesn't mean a legal lawyer. That means an expert in religion or one who teaches preachers. So this would be a preacher's teacher, seminary professor, we'd call it. <clears throat> he tested Jesus saying, what do I have to do to go to heaven? Eternal life. And what did Jesus, let's learn something from Jesus right here. Anytime somebody asks us a question, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say to him? What's the Bible say? What is written? Do you, what does the Bible say? We need to learn from Jesus. Quit thinking, start asking people, tell me what the Bible says. Anytime you're asked a question, just say, what does the Bible say? We, we've gotten, we've started thinking too much and not quoting enough in this generation. He said, what's the Bible say? He said, all right, here's what I think I have to do to go. Remember, this is about how do I go to heaven? He answered and said, he quoted from Deuteronomy, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus said, what, what does the Bible say is the main thing? And he said, what did he say? 
love God, love people. He said, I think that's what it's all about. So he's real proud of himself now, isn't he? Because he's nailing it here. And uh, Jesus said to him, bingo. He said, you have answered correctly. He said, you got it right, preacher. You got your theology straightened out. And then what did he tell the preacher to do? What does it say? You've answered right. Now what? Now go practice it. Go put it into shoe leather. Go do it. You answered correctly. Church is not a place where we learn only. It's a place where we learn. And then what did Jesus say? Now go practice what you learned. Go do what we talked about. And he said, he said, you got it right, preacher. You did good. Now go do what you just said. All right, this sort of upends him and he's got some problems here. So what he said to Jesus was, tell me what it means to go do the important thing. He said, he asked, he said, who is my neighbor? How many of you know who your neighbor is? He, he's not dumb. You know what he said here? All right. What would it mean to actually go do what the Bible says? What would it mean to love God and love people? Maybe you know, we need to let Jesus tell us what it means to love God and love people. You say, well, I love God. I love people. Is that what it means to say it? Listen to what the Bible said in, in 1 John 3, 18. Let us not love in word only, but in deed. We, we don't just say we love. You've got to do something if it is. And then the verse above it, 17, says this. If you've got money and you see your brother in need and you don't give him the money to help him and you say, bless you, how does the love of God alive in you? So what a picture of the love of God. It's not just to say I love you. It's to say love has to do something. Love's got to be a lifestyle. And he said, I want you to go do what I just told you to do. And he said to Jesus, paint a picture for me of what it means to do what you want. And boy, Jesus painted the most beautiful picture. I love this picture in the Bible. I think this is the greatest picture of church in the Bible. And Jesus said this to him. All right, I'm going to paint you a picture. Now remember, this is a parable. And Jesus is explaining this to him. Verse 30, Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, verse 30, and fell among thieves. Dear ones, anytime you see thief or robber in the Bible, you're pointing back to one being, the one who steals, kills, and destroys. And he's talking about Satan, who stripped him of his clothes and did, clothes and did what? Wounded him and left him by the road half dead. All right, what you got to hear is a man and he has been attacked and now he's wounded and he's hurting. And then Jesus said, you got this guy, so he's painting a mental picture. But remember, he's talking about church here. Verse 31, by chance, a certain priest came down the road. And when he saw him, he ignored him and walked around him. Now, Jesus was very explicit. He saw him and he put in the Bible. He saw the guy, but he didn't help him. He walked around him. Then he said this, a Levite, that's another preacher. When he arrived and looked at him, but refused to help him. Passed on the other side. I'm sure they were going to a church business meeting or some mess like that. But a Samaritan, now freeze right here, that don't mean a thing to you. But when these Jews heard the word Samaritan, they snarled because Jews hated Samaritans. They were non-religious people. They were actually, you had Jews, non-Jews or Greeks and Samaritans. You know what a Samaritan was, don't you? It's a half-breed. It was where a Jewish mom or dad had crossed with a Greek mom or dad or, or Gentile mom and dad and the offspring were called Samaritans and these were the despised people of culture and they were not religious at all. So he says Samaritan and the, and the preacher's going, one of them. You know, I mean, it's like in church, you'd say tramp. I do whatever would, I don't know whatever aggravates people anymore, but so he says the word Samaritan and they said the Samaritan just traveling 
And he came where the man was and he saw him in the ditch. Watch these words. He had compassion. He saw the wounded man and it touched his heart. Now, compassion is not love. Love is a decision you make based on obedience. Compassion is when you do feel something. It's the Greek word spelankia, down here. Over and over the Bible said Jesus was moved with compassion. Have you ever just looked at somebody, you know, those advertisements on TV for children without water or whatever, and something down here just hurt? That is compassion. It's the feeling of tenderness toward people. That's what happened. He looked at this man and his heart grew tender. And because his heart was tender, the Bible said this. Verse 34, he went to him. He didn't invite him to church. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took to take care of it. Got it? So this man, because of the love of God in his heart and the compassion, he goes to the man and he tries to help him best he can. And he bandages him up. Oil and wine, of course, is a picture of the Holy Spirit. It brings him there, took him to Incaper. Verse 35, the next day when he left, he took out two denarii, which would be a working man today, that'd be about $300. It's two days wages for a working man. Took out $300 and gave it to the man and said, take care of him. And whatever it costs you when I come back, I'll pay the difference. And then Jesus turns and he said, let me ask you a question, preacher. Which one of those three? The two preachers or the despised man that y'all hate? Which one lived it out? Which one did the will of God? Which one loved his neighbor? Well, the preacher ain't proud anymore now, is he? He's pinned down now. And he said, uh, he said, he, verse 37, he who showed mercy. Mercy means kindness to those who don't deserve it. He who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said to him, what? Get going, preacher. You know what to do. I've told you how to flesh it out. Let me see you go do that right there. This is the picture of the church right here. And I think it's the clearest picture of what Jesus wants the church to be. Now, let me make an announcement. There's a lot of people in the ditch in our land. A lot of people have been beat up. They've been wounded. They're hurting. They're suffering from family experiences. They're suffering from life right now. They're suffering from divorce, failed marriages, broken dreams. I mean, our land is full of hurting people. And one of the reasons people are so mean today is because they've been so hurt. Hurt people hurt people. And a lot of the root of what's going on in our land is because people have been hurt and they're wounded. And Satan has made great inroads into their life and these people are wounded. And uh, by the way, the Samaritan is Jesus. The half God, half man, who because of his tender heart wants to go help people because only Jesus can give the Holy Spirit. And he heals this man. But what does he do with him when he starts healing him? He takes him to a place called local church. He takes him to an inn. I think the inn's a picture of the local church. And he takes this broken person to the local church. And he says, he takes this in the here. He said, I'm going to tell you something. And what did he say? Fuss at him if he gets in trouble again. Put him on a committee and kill him. What did they say? What's the four words Jesus said? Take care of him. I believe that's the cry of Jesus to the church today. Take care of the people I want to bring to you. And I'm a, if you'll let me, I'm going to bring people to your door. And they've been hurt in life and they're wounded and they're suffering. And I want you to take care of these people or care for these people. I think the church should be a hospital for wounded people. It should be a place where people come find help after they're hurt. And then uh, let, me, let me show you something in this passage. Jesus said this to these people. I'm coming back one day. I'm even know Jesus is coming back one day. Those who will do what I ask them to do, I will reward them when I get back. I'll pay you when I get back. If you'll take care of the people I bring to you, I will pay you when I get back. I think this is the heart of Jesus for church, is to have a place where broken people can come 
and get fixed and get healed and get, get put back together again. And this is what Jesus taught. This was the book in the church, of, uh, church in the book of Acts early. And somehow we have drifted away from this to what we call modern church today. I don't know where we got in this place. Let me show you one of my favorites in uh, Psalm 147 concerning church. Psalm 147, talking about our father and our king. Psalm 147 is, I don't know if you ever read like Psalm 144 through 148 or 9. It just talks about the kindness of God for hurting people. And it's wonderful songs, psalms about how he's good to people and what he wants to do to help people. Psalm 147 is one of my favorites. And uh, the Lord says this. Do you remember before we read these verses in Psalm 147? Do you remember Jesus saying something in Matthew 16 right before he left about on this rock? I will build my church. Jesus said, I'm going to build a church. Now I heard a preacher say recently, we know the church in America is going to do well because Jesus said he'd build his church. And I said, pause, pause. He did not say he'd build your church. He said he'd build his church. And Jesus is going to be building churches till the day he gets back by his spirit and people that will help him. And this is the heart of, the only reason he died was to build a church. Tell me something. What's the only thing going to go out of this earth for eternity? There's two things the Bible says will last for eternity. One is the Bible, the Word of God. The other is the church. Everything else on this planet will burn for eternity. Only the Word of God and the church are going to last for eternity. The church, now when I say church, don't think of them buildings with steeples on them and organized religion. Think of the church he's building, the true church. This is one of those great passages where he talks about it. Verse 2. Psalm 147, 2, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a, the old covenant, his people were called Jerusalem. But today you and I are called the new Jerusalem. And the new Jerusalem is the city of God that is the church worldwide. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the upright. Where'd we get off to where we just want good people to come to church? Look who Jesus gathers together. Jesus brings people, who's he bring in? The outcasts. You know what outcast is, don't you? That's somebody who's been cast out. The, the people everybody else wants to throw away are the ones the Lord wants to what? Gather in. I, he, I hate to say this. Jesus is building a true church out of outcasts, out of those who are outcast. Now, when he gets them there, he beats the hell out of them because they don't behave. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say hell in church. Uh, verse three, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. What a picture of the church Jesus wants to bring people in. He's going to build his church. He's going to bring the, bro- the outcast, the ones nobody else wants. And when he gets them there, he's not going to lecture them and fuss at them. He's going to heal their wounds and heal their broken heart. Do you know how many broken hearts are in the land today? Do you know how many people are acting tough on the outside and dying on the inside today? Do you know how many people are faking it and posturing today? Because our culture has said you better fake it or you won't make it. And we start doing that. What does Jesus do with the broken heart? He heals it. And he heals the wounds that people have suffered. This is a picture of his church. Uh, Let me tell you one of the things he's really dealt with me in is that somehow we don't even understand what he wants a lot of times. And uh, we're not going to look at it, but I'll just quote to you. In Matthew chapter 9, the preacher started complaining because Jesus was spending his time with outcasts and sinful people and bad people. And they criticized him. And Jesus turned to them and he said this in Matthew 9. He said, Go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. 
Who told you I wanted you to sacrifice to me? I want to show mercy to people. And he quoted that great passage out of the Old Covenant where he talked about what God really wants to do. He said, I, I want to show mercy to people. I don't want the people to put on their church clothes and parade down here and try to stay awake. I don't need your sacrifice. I want to help you. I desire to show mercy to people, not sacrifice. Because they're real with him. All right, three chapters later. And he said to them, go learn what this means. How many think they learned it? Nope. Three chapters later, in chapter 12, the Bible said one day he and the boys were walking through the, by a cornfield. They got hungry, so they started breaking the parched corn off and eating it. And the Bible said the ministers said to him, why are they doing what's not right on Sunday? And my question is, where were they? Did they just follow the man? I'm going to tell you what I think. Well, I think of two. I think it was, do y'all remember hee-haw? Yeah. Them guys would pop up from behind the corn. I think that's exactly what happened. I think they were hiding in the cornfield trying to catch Jesus and they broke one all of a sudden they hopped up and said, hee-haw, we caught you. <laughs> Son of a religious aggravating thing. They're always trying to catch you doing something wrong. And they said, why are they, because you know, there was a law, you, there's a Sabbath law, thou shalt do no labor. And that meant you couldn't pick corn on the Sabbath because that was your labor. And now they're fussing about it. And they said to Jesus, why are you not observing the Sabbath? They're fussing at Jesus because of their rules. He said, uh, you think this is bad? Y'all didn't read what David did? He got hungry and went into church and stole a communion bread and a wine and passed it out to his gang. And then he looked at them so angry and he said to them, if you had known what this means, he told them in chapter nine, go learn this. In chapter 12, he said, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not be fussing at these people and condemning the guiltless. And then Jesus just shut them all down. And he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath anyway. I own the thing. Do whatever I want to on Sunday. Shut up. And then he made one of the most profound statements when he said, the man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for the man. We don't put on a program down here and build a building so folks can come and help us do our program. This program... We don't need the people to help us do our program. We should be here for the people. The Sabbath, which means church, and what did you do at church? It is for people. We don't bring people here to make our program fly. We're here for the people. And he, you know, we struggled with them boys all the days of their lives and had a fit. I want you to, there's one place in the New Testament where it says, this is church right here. This is what I want church to be, and it's the clearest picture. Let's look at it real quick. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12 is where the Bible describes church and what he wants it to be. And I want to show you three clear truths from here that we need to get back to in church, the way we do church. I can remember my first assignment. First assignment, I'm a uh, youth pastor and choir leader, music, I don't know what to call them back in, music guy at a church in Florida during college. And went down there. And this was supposed, you know, I got paid for doing it. And this was supposed to have been a learning assignment. They hooked me up with an old uh, man, old preacher. Old, his name was Dr. McGriff. Had two doctor's degrees, so I called him Dr. Doctor. And uh, I went to work with him. And I was supposed to learn how to do church down there in Florida. Of course, you know, you understand why I took that assignment. Florida, summer, bass fishing. And I said, well, I'll, I'll be glad to go down there and learn how to preach in Florida during the summer. So I go down there and it was just a mess. And his main thing was church starts on time. He's about as bad as Billy is. Church starts on time. Of course, we're on TV, so we have to. And he, he was just so twerked out if church didn't start on time. 
And I thought, I, I thought, of course, I didn't say nothing then. I was humble back then. I thought to myself, what does it even mean church starts? I thought the church was a group of people. I thought the church was like, my family don't start. When my children come to my house for Thanksgiving, I say, be there at 12. They get there at 10 minutes to 12. I say, don't say nothing yet. Thanksgiving ain't started yet. Just be quiet for 12 o'clock. Don't say nothing. How stupid is that? What does this church starts? 12 o'clock, I mean, 11 o'clock sharp ends at 12 o'clock dull. What is this stuff? We, we got to rewrite what he means by church. I probably shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 12 is where the Bible talks about you. I want you to see three things. God Almighty wants everybody to be a part of a local church. He wants you to be there in person. He places people in a local church. Why? All right, let's read it. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says this, but now God has placed or set the members, each one of them in the body as he pleased. So as I tell you right there, every person that's a child of his, he assigned you to a local church. He wants you in a local body. But the question is why? So you can be bored to tears and aggravated and learn how to behave? No, we're going to, we'll just read the final verse here. Verse 25 says this, there should be no division in the body, but the members should have the same care for one another. God wants every person that's his child to be in a local church. Why? So they can be taken care of and what else? So they can take care of people. Now the American model of a church is we'll all go to that church. We'll join that church. And if something goes wrong, we'll call the preacher and the preacher can go help them. That's not scriptural. The Bible says right there that they, they, that the members should take care of one another. And Ephesians 4 says the pastor, evangelist, their job is to equip the saints mm -hmm. to build the church, take care of the body. Right. Tell me why God wants you in a family. Why did, we used to give away a book to new parents that said, why did God give children parents? Guess why God gave children parents? Take a guess. Take care of them. Raise them, love them, care for them. That's why he puts people in a church so they can be taken care of and be looked after. All right, the second thing we see in this passage here, and this really dumps people upside down, in the New Testament church, the way Jesus wants it to be, we honor struggling people. We don't kick them. We honor struggling people. This is one of the craziest things you ever saw. Read with me. It's talking about where God puts people in a church. And in verse, uh, look at me in verse 22. No much rather those members of the body, members of a local church, which seem to be what? Weaker. I mean, you know, we got some folks go to church here and they're still a little on the weak side. What's another word for weak? They're still struggling. They're still maybe struggling with some addictions. They're still struggling with junk out of the past. They've still got some junk in their lives. It's not perfect. That's a weaker, the Bible talks about weaker members or struggling members. Verse 23, those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. Verse 24, our presentable parts, those great Christians, have no need. But God put the family together, the body together, giving great honor to that part which what? Lacks. You go to the average church and you've got the great Christians, they get to be on the board and everybody recognizes them. Your sister so-and-so, she's a great Christian. You know, she ain't never drunk no beer. Now she'll cut your heart out with her tongue, but never mind that. She ain't never drunk no beer, yada, yada. We got all these great, you know, and there are, there's some folks that have really got this Christianity. They got it down pat, they do pretty good. But in every church, there's folks who just really struggle. What does the Bible say right here? We give greater honor to the folks who are struggling. Them folks that got it right, they don't need nobody cheering for them. 
our seemly members don't need it. Average church, if you're a great Christian, they exalt you as a great Christian. But if you struggle, you're still struggling with pornography, you're struggling, still going out and getting drunk once in a while, or you, you know, your marriage gets in trouble, they'll kick you to the curb. The Bible said those are the ones you need to give greater honor to. Is this crazy or what? I'm not making this up. But in a healing church, you take better care of the folks who have the greater need. You know, if you walk over to the hospital right now and you tell them, I got a hangnail, I won't go to the emergency room, I got a hangnail, they're going to say, sit down until Jesus gets back. <laughs> but if you go down and you fall out on the floor and pass out with an aneurysm, they're going to get you some help. Yeah. The most screwed up people get the attention in a hospital. Can I get a witness? That's why it ought to be in a church. The most screwed up people ought to be the ones that get the honor and the attention and be cared for. And unfortunately, we, we reversed that one. I think in the American church sometimes. And uh, we need to struggle. We need to get off of it. And you go in the average church. You know why people have to fake it in church and pretend they're great Christians? Because the spirit in the church is, if you don't measure up, you won't be accepted here. We are completely bass-ackwards on that thing. I should have said that either. In church. We need to turn that around to where people that are screwed up come to church and say, I'm really messed up. Well, we're here to take care of you. I don't want you to do something sometime. Y'all ever listen to podcasts? Listen to this one. The greatest podcast or teaching I've ever heard on real Christianity, I want you to listen to it. Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> now you think I'm being silly. Larry, just go to YouTube and put in Larry the Cable Guy, real Christianity. You know, I didn't like Larry because Larry was too profane for me. He was too dirty for me. He said, well, kick him to the curb. Wait a minute. That doesn't mean God didn't love him. Didn't mean God didn't want him. It just meant he, he needed to get straightened out and get saved. Well, his wife found Jesus. She drug him into the kingdom recently, whether he liked it or not. And that dude has nailed it. You need to listen. Larry the Cable Guy, real Christianity. It's the greatest. I've never heard, heard a preacher explain it so good. We're going to have Larry the Cable Guy here for revival. That's what we're going to do. But we need to honor But And in that thing, he also says, you know, I, he said, I've changed. I don't tell dirty jokes no more. He said, Jesus, don't let me talk like that no more. But he said, I still got some growing to do. Well, I'd all say that. To be honest, but we don't need to have this thing in church where we march. Hey, I mean, we're just terrible. Families falling apart, kids on drugs. We're fighting like cats and dogs. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Good to be here. What happened here? Anyway, we honor in the church. We honor the struggling. And then number three, it's a family. Church should never have become a business or a production or a program. It should be a family. It's all it should ever be. Look at me in verse 25. There should be no division in the body, but that the members should take care of one another. Now here's, here's church, verse 26. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if another member is blessed, everybody celebrates with them. Isn't that the way you do it in your family? That's the way you do it in our family. We've got five people in our family. Man, if one of our kids went through a tough time or one of us went through something, we all took care of each other. And when one of us brought good news, we all cheered for each other. That's family. And it's, it's not where we, well, they got good music and a good preacher. That's not family. That, that could be Broadway. But the deal is a place where people are taken care of. And when you, you suffer, people take care of your suffering. And th that's the picture of the uh, of New Testament church. All right, now the question is, now let me, a lot of people argue about this. Do I have to go to church to be a Christian? Answer is yes. yes. Okay. Just me and you, that's it tonight, Bubba. We on, appreciate you. One amen will do good. 
Now, I understand why you say no, because so many hard no, I'm going to get killed tonight. So many hard nosed and that's not normally the word I use, so many hard-nosed preachers have beat the tar out of people because they don't come to their church. Tell me the verse they always quote. Hebrews 10, thou shalt not forsake this and them together by sales. Then they'll beat the pudding out of you if you went to the race instead of church one Sunday. Yes, believers should go to church. But let me ask you a question, why? So you can be bored to tears? So you can get beat up by the preacher? That is not why we go to church. Why do we go to church? Let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 10. I ask them once, why don't you quote the rest of that verse? Hebrews chapter 10. Like they're going to be ugly to you if you don't go to church. Oh, that's great. (laughs) In this old age, if you don't want to go, don't go. Fine by me. But there's a reason. It's the same reason a restaurant recently shut down in our town. The food was crappy. If the food's terrible, then nobody should come. You notice the great restaurants that serve great food, they don't have no trouble getting people to come. Can I get a witness here? Amen. All right. Well, this will go over good. Hebrews chapter 10. Here's the verse. Verse 25, and this cuts in the middle of a sentence. Hebrews 10, 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. There it is. People need to come together and meet as a church. Let me tell you something. I've heard people talk about a virtual church. There is no such thing in the New Testament. He wants you local and he wants you there physically. Now, COVID accepted. I understand. COVID rocked the, rocked the world everywhere. If, if there's any risk, I don't think people should, don't Don't tempt the Lord your God and breathe COVID mess. Be safe. But COVID accepted. God wants you local and physical local. Now, some people can't be. I understand that. But now here's the reason. Five. Look in verse 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, comma, not forsaking the assembling together as the manner of some, but encouraging one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, what's the whole text say right there? You need to go to church because you need to be in a place where people can love on you and encourage you. And then how's he cap it off? What's the admonition? especially as you see the end getting closer. As we draw closer to the second coming of Jesus, tell me the reason the Bible said you should go to church so people can love on you and you can be encouraged. And that's the reason that you need to go to church. He wants you to go so you can... The reason I wanted my children to eat when they were young, guess why? I'm going to make them pay, bless God. They're going to do what I say. Really? It would save me money if they hadn't eat. I wanted them to eat and me and the mom was on the same page. We wanted to meet nutritious so they could grow up and be big and strong and have a good life. Yeah. Our father wants people to come to church so they can be loved on and healed and encouraged. Yeah. That should be the reason we go. And I'm in my old age. I just say, if you can't find a church that does that, just don't even go anymore. It does say in first Corinthians, it says, I admonish you, you come to church, not for the better or for the worse. How many people do I know would have been better off not to go to some churches? Got the pudding beat out of them. All right. The father's not ill saying you didn't go to church last Sunday. No more than I'm ill because they didn't eat their banana pudding. It was it is to help people. Everything points back to healing and helping people with him completely. Let me me just say this. Everything about his church should be healing. It should be healing broken dreams, lives, futures, hearts. His church was created to help people. And there's four ways that churches need to be healing and helping people. And we need to, 
You need to do some things on purpose. How many of you know if you shoot at nothing, you hit it every time? We need to be a people of purpose. That's why my beloved brother Paul said, one thing I do, I reach toward the goal. I'm doing what I do on purpose. Let me tell you, four things ought to happen in the church. Number one, people should be healed by the way they are treated in church. There's nothing more healing than for people to treat you a certain way. And people should be healed by the way they're treated in church. Now, for instance, we saw in, in Psalm 147, he gathers together the outcasts. How do we treat bad people when they show up in our church? How do we treat the undesirables? How do we treat those who are still smoking? How do we treat those that are still have a drinking problem? I, I was mentoring a little boy years ago. He just started, it was his first year in the pastorate. He was right near me, a couple miles away. And he just said, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? He called me and he said, it's awful, awful last night. I said, I said, we had a man show up at church and he was drunk. He was actually drunk when he showed up. I said, what did you do? He said, we called the police. I said, you finally got one and you kicked him out? <laughs> well, he and I didn't go to the same school. I went to the... I went to the feet of Jesus University. How do you treat the outcasts? Let me show you the heart of Jesus. Turn me to Luke chapter 14. This is what he said about who he wants you to invite to church. Luke chapter 14. I've invited so many people to church, a lot around, around this town, around this county. And they'll just chuckle and say, Preacher, you don't want people like me in your church. Where'd they get that from? And I tell them, oh no, Bubba, you're the one I want. Your Aunt Sadie's the one I don't want. I got enough of them. I want people like you. We had some friends visit this past Sunday, dear friends of mine, and his children were close by. I mean, they're grown people. And they said, come on, go to church. I said, well, we, we don't have no church clothes. He said, oh, you don't understand. You can wear your bathing suit to that church. <laughs> and she apologized to me. They had on jean shorts and a t-shirt. She was completely covered. She said, I'm sorry about the way we dress. I said, look at this right here. Where did we get this crap that you got to dress a certain way to go to church? You know, wounded people in the ditch with blood on them aren't normally dressed up real well. I'm sorry, I wasn't going to hack tonight. Dang if I ain't doing it. <laughs> Look what Jesus said, Luke chapter 14. This is where he's talking about, go get people, love people. Verse 21, the servant came and said these things to his master, the master of the house, which is the living God, being angry, said to the servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city Bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. The servant said, Master, it's done as you commanded. There's still room. The master said to the servant, get out of the church, get in the highways, and compel them to come in so that my house might be full. And this is talking about sending people with his message. Who do you say to go after? The broken, the wounded, the crippled, the lame? He didn't say a thing about going after the righteous. He said, go get the screwed up people in my house so they can get healed. He said, this is who I'm after right here. And, uh, we, but it depends on how you treat the people. I'm so um, surprised. I was talking with a family not long ago. <clears throat> they don't live here, but they watch us on TV or online or whatever. And I said, well, where do you go to church? And she dropped her head, you know, shame on you. If you don't go to church. I said, you gotta be shamed in front of me. She said, well, we don't go. I said, we used to go until several years ago and said, matter of fact, my husband was a deacon. We're very involved. He said he got saved. We're, he said he was a deacon. We're very involved in the church. And he said, our son got on drugs and he got really screwed up. And she said, then people in the church began to shun us and publicly shame us because our children got on drugs. If we've been good Christians, our children never got on drugs. What the hell? What is going on here? 
That is the time in your lives when you ought to rally around them people. That's when you need to say, listen, we're not going to talk about you. We're going to pray with you. Matter of fact, let's do it right now. And we're going to be here for you. And we're going to help you. What in the world has happened that when we have trouble in church, this thing's upside down. It ought to be a place where the wounded, Jesus healed wounded people. He didn't hurt wounded people. Let me tell you something about parents. Parents that are going through that with kids on drugs, you don't know the torment they live through. You don't know how people suffer when they go through that thing. And uh, we built this thing where you have to be perfect to go to church. That's just, no, I want to make an announcement. ain't a perfect person on this earth except Jesus. And the rest of us all sucking high and tit one way or the other, any way you want to cut it. I'll probably pay for that too. It's an old farm phrase about the, rump, the rump pig. I'm sorry. What, how, what, what in the world's going on here? I love, I'm going to live by Romans 12, 16 that says this. Associate with the lowly. Yeah. Like Jesus. Who did Jesus go preach to? Who did he go talk to? The woman at the well wasn't exactly on the cover of Vogue magazine. Can I get a witness? Yeah. She was a town slut. And Jesus just went after those folks. I'm sorry. Uh, we just got to turn this. I just don't understand why church became this museum for saints. It's supposed to be a hospital for broken people that are suffering. Number one, the healing. Number two, our music should be geared toward healing in the church. I, I just, in the early years, it's better than it is now, but in the early years, I used to wonder, are you purposely trying to empty this place out? with that ghost and Mr. Chicken organ music. What are you doing? I just never understood this. It's over my head. Because the bottom line is, I don't care if you do it with a rock band, an organ. I don't care if you get it with a stinking piccolo. It has got to be in the spirit. The greatest need of people's lives is to be touched by God. Music serves one purpose in a church to bring the spirit of God down to help the people. Listen, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth because he's seeking people like that. John chapter four. And Jesus said this, and I want you to listen to what I'm fixing to say. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I will be there in their midst. That's the goal of our church is to get Jesus in the middle of the church. And I don't mean in name only. I mean his healing presence of God. And we've not done a very good job of that through the years. Matter of fact, church music today in America sort of morphed into concert style where a good band and good singers do concert type Christian music. And if you know the words, you can jump in there. It was supposed to have been, let's worship God until his spirit comes down and heals people. That's what the Bible teaches clearly. People should come in your church above everything else and know I felt something in there. I felt God in that place. They, they, you don't need to be impressive. We need God more than we need anything else. Now, I've heard preachers say this erroneously. They say, well, we know God's here today because he said we're two or three gathered together. You are as lost as a ball in high weeds. You're clueless, doc. That's not what it means. Technically, he is everywhere. There's no place you can go he's not. Where can I flee from your spirit? That's talking about his felt presence, his manifest, tangible. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel his mighty power and his grace. I hear the brush of angels wings. I see glory on each face because surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. The greatest need of our lives is to be touched by the presence of God. You need to have a quiet time, not so you can check it off, but so you can be touched by God every day. The purpose of quiet time is to be touched by God. 
Churches need to have God in their midst. Then one of the things that really rocked my world years ago, one of the greatest pictures, if we'd quit listening to preachers and start talking to lost people, we'd learn a lot. I'm reading this Christian periodical one time, Field and Stream magazine. And I got to the back page and on the back page, the editor of Field and Stream, he always writes a little article about his interests. And he wrote this one in particular. It affected me so much. It's been years ago. I've never forgotten it. And he said, trip of a lifetime. And this guy always wanted to take a trip. You know, he traveled the world hunting and fishing. He got to write about it. Sad. But he'd always wanted to take one trip he'd never been able to take. He wanted to go to the remote, most remote part of North, Car- North America, north, up at the very tip in the dead of summer. He wanted to go up there where nobody's ever been before. And he wanted to fish those remote lakes that nobody had ever been to. He said, I finally got it arranged. I could do it. He said, I took air passage. He said, I chartered one of them, one of them planes that lands on water. I forget what you call them. Yeah, yeah, water landing planes, float plane. He chartered one. The guy carried me way up there and he landed on this lake and he put me and my junk out. He said, I'll be back in seven days. Enjoy yourself. And said, he left. Got my camp set up there in the evening. And he said, I am a hundred miles from the nearest human being. And he said, I'd never, he said, I just stood there and looked. I've never seen such beauty in my life. Just the mountains, the lake. He said, I'm just by myself. He said, it's so beautiful. And he said, I just decided before I went to bed, I'd fish a little bit because it's still light. Sun's going down. He said, so I'm standing there fishing a little bit. He said, I just stopped. And I remember this guy's a pagan. Doesn't claim to be a believer. He said, I just stopped and said, I just looked around and said, I can't describe his exact words. I can't describe it, but I felt something out there. He said, I can't explain what I felt, but here's his exact words. It felt like what you think you ought to feel when you go to church, but you don't. And he was trying to describe what it was like to be up there. I should have wrote him a letter, emailed him and said, that was him, Bubba. That was him. He drew close to you. You know, older preachers have to teach younger preachers. That's him. I mean, young people, that's him. God drew close to him on that lake and he didn't recognize who it was. But I like what he said. You think that ought to happen in church. It ought to happen in church. Amen. People need to say, it was good to be in the house of the Lord today. Right. Not because the preacher saw me and I'm not in trouble now, but because I touched God in that place today. Yeah. But that, anyway, that's the purpose of music. Preaching, teaching, it is to heal people, not fuss at them. Right. It should be, listen, people are going through enough as it is without us piling on top of them. Yeah. People need, listen, people really do need help. I don't know anybody who says, I wish my life sucked. I don't know anybody who says, tell me how I can make my life worse. We do it enough of that by ourselves. Most people want it better. Just tell me how to do it. They should build up. And then one more. I'll show you one more thing. Healing relationships. People are looking for relationships in churches. And that's why you can't just do the Sunday show. That's why people can't just come in and listen to the music, listen to the preacher. I mean, that's, that's fine. But people need to find family at church. Psalm 68, 6 says this, the Lord sets the lonely in a family. And uh, I, asked, I asked a friend one time, is, you know, gang, these gangbangers, MS-13, all that stuff. Why are these kids getting in these gangs? Why, why do they do this? You know, one of the MS-13, you have to be, you have to be initiated into a gang. And uh, MS-13, one of, there's several ways you can do it. Number one, you can be shot in the foot. You have to let them shoot you in the foot with a 22 pistol. That puts you, that's your initiation. They have to do a chicken thing where they stab you in the armpit with a knife, or you can, you can be beaten by five or six members. They jump on you, they just beat the tar out of you, and that initiates you in. 
Why would young boys do that? I'll tell you what they're looking for. Family. They're looking for a family that they never found. They didn't have dads. They didn't have families. They didn't, well, the families disintegrated in the land. Guess what Jesus means to take the place of a broken family? The church. Why are gangbangers, why are boys joining gangs when they could come to church? Now, I'm not fussing at them. I'm fussing at me. Uh, young boys ought to come to church and say, they love me here. I found a daddy here. We, get, we have to rearrange this thing. That's why it says in Psalm 68, 6, the Lord wants to put the lonely in a family. That's what it should be. That's what it should boil down to. Well, you know what the deal is. People have saying, oh, how I love Jesus. And then I just want to say, you mind if I look? Do you mind if I walk around behind you for a while? I'm not being judgmental. Do you mind if I look? I, I can, you, know, you can tell I've dealt with a lot of hypocrisy in the church. And you can tell I'm tired of my hypocrisy too. And when somebody says, oh, how I love Jesus, guess what I'm going to be looking for? A bumper sticker? Your fanny park somewhere on Sunday morning? You know what I'm going to be looking for? Jesus said in John 21, 16, he asked the great fisherman, he said, do you love me? He said, you know I love you. And he said, don't miss a service. <laughs> what did he say to him? Take care of my people. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Dear ones, the way I show people that I love Jesus, the way I love Jesus is by taking care of people. I'd have hacked everybody else off. If there's anybody left, let me do you now. I don't care if you drink. I don't care if you smoke. I don't care if you cuss. I don't care if you struggle with a lot of vices. You love people and take care of people and I'll work with you a little bit. And I'm not promoting that stuff. I'm just saying, where did it become? I don't drink. I don't cuss. I don't chew and I don't listen to country music. Really? Where do you get this stuff out of? I think, I know the Bible's right. Take care of the people. Can I show you one more verse and I'm done? Well, I'm going to. Turn them to Psalm 122. Well, you don't have to look if you don't want to. Psalm 122. Psalm 122. If the church could get like Jesus wants it to be, and dear ones, I'm going to tell you something. He's not mad. He's not fussing. He, Jesus, needs the church. He needs the church to help people. He always uses people to help other people. And the heart of God is to help people. He sent me one time to a church, and it was so boogered up. Y'all know what boogered up means? About like that Matthew 21 deal. So boogered up. And I told him, I said, these people, this is messed up. He said, that's why I'm sending you there. And the picture he passed, I said, well, show it to me in Scripture. I always ask him, would you mind showing me that in Scripture? And you know what he showed me about straightening this church out? He took me back to the passage where Jesus said to his boys, he said, before we went into Jerusalem, he said, go to this house. There will be a donkey tied up. Y'all remember this? There'll be a donkey tied at the door. You untie the donkey and bring it to me. And that donkey is going to carry me into that city. And said, if somebody says to you, why are you untying the donkey? You say to them, Jesus needs this donkey. And then you run with that donkey. No, he said, <laughs> he said that if you'll tell them I need it, they'll let you have it. Maybe. Good luck trying to get the donkey away from them owners who got it all tied up. And I said, I just, when he said it, you see it. I said, it's exactly what you mean. I said, you need this church so you can come help people in this city. But these religious folks got it all tied up with this religious mess and it ain't helping nobody. 
and you want me to untie that church from their religious nonsense so that you can use it to help people. And when them deacons fuss at me, you want me to just tell them, Jesus needs this church. Jesus always needs people to help other people. And it's our great privilege to get to do that. This is the heart of God. He, he couldn't care less about so much of the junk we're involved in. I want to tell you something. Eternity is approaching. Time is running out. We need to be helping people. We must be about our master's business, which is the healing of a broken world. And uh, Jesus wants, he, he really needs the church to get right. And this is one of my, I just love this passage. If the church were ever right, this is what you'd be able to say. Psalm 122 says this. I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing in the gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built by Jesus, the city that has come back together, where the people go up, all the nations go up, the tribes of the Lord to the Testament of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. That's church right there. If church ever got right, you would say, I, would, I am so glad that Sunday's coming. I'm glad that we can go to church and, and go there and give thanks unto the Lord. Doing church should not be an obligation. That's right. It should be a joy. You should be glad to get to go there. And my joy, now listen, I'm, I pretty well got my ducks in a row. You can tell I still struggle in some areas. If you can't amen that, you can't amen nothing. I still struggle in some areas, but I'm, I think I'm going to make it. I'm going to be okay. But let me tell you something. There, we don't need to be perpetually healed. Once we reach a certain place, it is time for us to start being healers. I pretty well got my ducks in a row. I'm still working on some areas. But you know what's been so long? I think he's going to give me a pass. I'll straighten out and get you to heaven. <laughs> but I'm to the point now where my life is straightened out enough. I really should be focused not on getting me perfected. It ain't going to happen in this life. But on helping other people. Come on. And healing other people. So I'm, I'm going to have church one of these days where you're either going to be a healer or a healer. But ain't no heels going to be there no more. We can be done with that mess. <laughs> but I would be glad when they said unto me, let's go in the house of the Lord. I woke up one day and it was Sunday and I just remember thinking, I hate Sundays. Mm -hmm. That's been a long time ago. I was in a different kind of church. Center, and I just thought, it's pretty bad and the preacher hates Sunday, isn't it? Oh, I don't want to go in there and fuss at them people and I don't want them fussing at me. Mm -hmm. Years ago, there was a lady. She went and woke her son up and said, get up at Sunday time to go to church. He said, I ain't going. She said, yes, you are. Get out of that bed. You're going to church. He said, I'm not going to. She said, yes, you are. And uh, she said, why are you not going to go to church? He said, well, I'm, I'll give you three reasons. Number one, I never have any fun. Number two, them people are mean to me. And number three, it ruins my whole day when I go. She said, well, I, I'm gonna, I'll give you three reasons why you are going. As long as you're going to live in this house, you're going to go to church. And number two, it's the right thing to do. And number three, if they're going to pay you to be their pastor, you need to be there is what it is. <laughs> I have felt like that no few times in years gone by. <laughs> Did you know the Bible said Jerusalem should be the joy of the whole earth? All right, I said all that. I want you to, I want you to pray with me and pray. This is my prayers. Show it to me. Yeah. Dear Jesus, I believe you can build a house of healing. Yeah, and whatever you got to straighten out and jerk around, do whatever. I think as soon as I'm gone from here, I'm going to go somewhere and start over. Instead of building another American megachurch, we're going to build a house of healing and hope for people. And I, my prayer for you is we, we need to be a house of healing. The, I, you, you don't get to see it, but I do. I get the greatest testimonies of people who say my life was a train wreck. And I started coming there. I started listening, whatever. And, it, and it's just, I can't tell you how our family's been fixed. That's why we're here. We're not here to mark space for people. That's why we're here. I met a man last night. never met him before. 
And uh, he was a normal guy. I could tell him, you know what I mean by normal guy? I like him. And we started talking. He said, I, I watch you. They don't live in this town. So they live in another town. He said, I watch you. My wife made me watch you. He said, I'm, I'm, he said, I'm sort of rough. He said, I don't care much for church. He said, I'm sitting there one day watching a ball game. She said, I'm going to watch this preacher. He said, I want you to watch. He said, I don't want to watch preacher. So he said, I'm watching. And we got two TVs side by side. That's the way to save your marriage right there. <laughs> he said, I'm watching the ball game. She's watching you on that TV. And he said, I heard you say something weird. And I just turned the sound down on mine. I started listening for a minute. And I said, he didn't just say that in church, did he? He said, I started listening for a minute. And I got hooked on it. He said, I listen to you every Sunday now. He said, he said, it's just, he said, my home's a whole lot better. My kids can tell the difference. That's why we're here. We're not here to mark off time. We're here to help people and to be a house of healing because the world is broken. And I want us to do what Jesus said when he said, lift up your eyes unto the fields that are white unto harvest. And, uh, okay, it is time for me to get a little touchy here. We need to turn our eyes to other people and get our attention on those outside and to the great needs. They're all around you. And we need to pick them up and bring them with us. All right. Let's pray for a minute. Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you. I didn't draw a conclusion tonight. I didn't say, oh, therefore, I just said, this is what you've been showing in my heart. And, and we just, we sang a little while ago. We said right here and we just sang and you, you was here. You heard it. I, a lot of people in this room sang it. We said all to Jesus, I surrender yeah, all to him. I freely give. Nobody making me give anything to you. I'm giving this to you freely. I will ever love and trust him. Well, you, we just read in your word tonight when the man said, what does it mean to love God? And you said, get the people that are busted in the ditch and heal them. And we, tonight we just humbly look forward and you say, for this building, I mean not the building, this church, all to Jesus I surrender. We're going to love you. And you've defined love as not going through a program or attending a church, but in a house of healing where people can be healed. I long for that place where the lame and the broken can come to you in the temple and they can be healed by you. I know you do. We really don't know what we're doing down here. I'm sure you figured that out. But we give ourselves to you without reservation. All to Jesus, I surrender. And it doesn't matter to me whether it's 20 or 20,000. I couldn't care less. If that were my daughter out there, what would I want somebody doing? If that were my son, what would I want somebody doing? Make this house a house of healing. If I knew where the deed was, I'd sign it over to you and say, we give it to you for that purpose. I give you the praise and glory. Thank you for hearing our prayer. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.